The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, If you open your Bibles, if you brought that with you to the book of Acts, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 8, the later part of chapter 8 and continuing in the series that we have going on in the book of Acts. Um, Just a real quick recap, uh, just in case you haven't been here or you haven't heard the previous messages. Uh, as, as, as the end of the gospels finish and, uh, and Jesus has ascended into heaven, he gives his disciples this commission, right? To go and to make disciples, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. And he ascends into heaven. And then the apostles begin preaching the gospel to everyone there. And thousands and thousands of people begin to be saved and surrender their life to Jesus. And, and then uh, you see all these signs and wonders that are being performed by the apostles that Jesus promised would happen. And everything is going good. And then all of a sudden, Stephen is martyred, right? Persecution comes, Stephen is martyred, and then persecution ramps up even, even more after that. And this scattered the church all over the known world at the time. What's really interesting about that is we're going to see a little bit of that with Philip this morning. But, you know, when Paul is writing the book of Romans or writing to the Romans in the epistle that he wrote to them, they have no apostolic authority of any pastor that was an apostle that started that church, which is neat because as these Christians are spreading all over the known world, in Rome proper, the city of Rome, there are dozens of churches that Paul writes to, and they were established just by Christians who went with the gospel. And it's interesting to see what's taking place right here and where we find ourselves, right? From the onset, as I said, Jesus had commissioned them to uh, take the gospel all the way with them into every region and make disciples. But this isn't exactly what they did, right? We learned a couple of weeks ago, they were only partially obedient. As they were preaching in Jerusalem and things were going great, they really didn't do the the go part. Uh, They were partially, uh, they partially obeyed his, his command. And as Daniel preached last week, when Philip went through north to Samaria, and, uh, and, 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 and Samaritans were, were received the gospel, and this Simon the magician uh, was supposedly saved, or he had received, and, and they went through that whole thing. Well, this is all because of Philip, right? Philip was one of the seven chosen originally to be a, to be a, uh, a deacon and to help serve the church that was growing. And when persecution started and they scattered, Philip went north to Samaria and he began preaching the word. And that's where these Samaritans, uh, that's how they hear about the gospel. It's because of Philip. Now, as we get to chapter eight in the book of Acts, we see a pivotal change or a pivotal turning point that happens uh, and in the direction of who receives the gospel message, right? Jesus wanted everyone to receive the gospel. The whole world, am I correct? When he said to the ends of the earth, 
that's what Jesus meant, that he wants the whole world, the whole entire known world at that time to be exposed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that meant taking the gospel to people that the disciples actually didn't really like. That's real interesting, right? That there were some people that the disciples didn't like. If you remember in John chapter four, as Jesus uh, encounters this Samaritan woman at the well, uh, and Daniel talked a little bit about it last week, but his, his disciples did not want to be there. They were very fussy about why we have to go through Samaria. I don't understand. I don't want to be here. We don't like these people. In fact, they, they hated the Samaritans in the whole part of Samaria. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 54. Uh, 51 says, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, this is Jesus, the end of Jesus' time on earth is coming, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of himself, and on the way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Hold on a second. That escalated very quickly, right? Jesus is like, all right, guys, my time is coming. Go make preparations for me. They go through this Samaritan town, and the people are like, you're headed to Jerusalem? Nah, we don't want you here. And then his, and, and then his disciples go just like, hey, you want just to call fire down on heaven? Like, I, I've seen you, you know, the lame walk and the blind see. Surely this is nothing. They're just Samaritans, right? Let us go ahead and just burn the whole village. <laughs> These are hand-picked disciples from Jesus Christ who by now it's three and a half years they've been walking with him, and they said, "Ah, let's just burn the village down, right? And they wanted nothing to do with the region of Samaria or the Samaritans, and they were willing to wipe them off of the face of the earth. And there was this sense of arrogance as it pertained to the rights to God, right? Those who practiced Judaism in that day did not treat others who did not very well. They, they had this arrogance about them that they had the rituals of God, they had the law, they were the people of God, they knew what was best as it pertained to God. Now, this is important information because where does Philip go when the persecution starts? He goes straight to Samaria. He goes up north and he goes to Samaria and the gospel is received and people are saved and People who just 10 years before the disciples really hated and were willing to to burn them off the face of the earth. And as I said earlier, this is a pivotal part in scripture uh, because you see Philip is making his way north. He stops in Samaria, begins the process, but he doesn't stop there. Philip gets it, right? Philip, he gets it. And, uh, And he understands that God is a God who has called many unto himself. And these many include people from every race from every region and from every gender. That there is no partiality when it comes to the saving grace of our God, the Father. That's what Paul explains in Romans chapter two, right? For there is no partiality. I'm sorry, this is bothering the heck out of me. There is no partiality in God. God doesn't care what you look like. God doesn't care, sorry. Okay, God doesn't care where you came from. The gospel message should be available to all, and Philip gets it. Uh, Let's go to our text this morning, and we'll kind of get into a little bit more of that. Acts chapter 8, 
Acts chapter 8. Whoa. While you turn to Acts chapter 8, I'll fix this. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And we're going to read all the way through verse 39. It's a little long, but hang with me. Acts, 26, uh, Acts 8, 26 through 39. It says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now let's stop real quick. Remember, Samaria is north of Jerusalem. And as Philip has, is, is, is fleeing from Jerusalem because of persecution, he goes north. And he's in Samaria. This part of Israel that uh, the angel is telling Philip to go to is completely south. It's almost to Egypt. And he says, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road, 27. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before uh, its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road and came uh, to some water, the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to dig into this morning before we get going, right? First, you may be wondering, what on earth is a eunuch? What on earth is a eunuch? If you don't know, well, there are pretty much three different things that could be when it says eunuch and pretty much all three of these could apply to this situation. A eunuch is usually described as a man who has been castrated for whatever reason. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> That's what a eunuch was uh, typically when you read about someone being a eunuch, it's someone who's been castrated. Now, a eunuch could also be, uh, mean uh, one who could not reproduce from birth. So, you know, if you had reproductive problems, uh, you could be a eunuch. Or someone who commits themselves to God and forsakes all sexual relations with women. Uh, it was commonly known that eunuchs were to be in charge of kings' harems. So kings had many wives, and then they would place a eunuch in charge of all his wives for obvious reasons. Uh, so this man uh, who encountered, who Philip encountered, was a court official of Candace, who's a queen of the Ethiopians, so it would make sense for this queen to have an official who was a eunuch, right, uh, for, like I said, obvious reasons. So regardless of which these mean, he was obviously a eunuch, which meant something of the nature of castration or not being able to reproduce, 
Regardless, the important thing is what the man is doing when the Spirit leads him to Philip. He's reading Scripture. He's reading a portion in Isaiah that talks about Jesus. Now, he doesn't know it talks about Jesus, and that's what makes this really interesting. Like, why would this Ethiopian be reading a Jewish text? You ever wonder that? Like, I don't understand. Why is he reading a Jewish text? Why is he coming, it says, from worshiping in Jerusalem if he's from Ethiopia? Well, it was obvious that he was a Jewish proselyte. Now, what a proselyte was, it was a Gentile who would then convert to Judaism, right, even though they were not Jewish, meaning I'm a Gentile. If I wanted to convert to Judaism, I have to do the things that the law requires, meaning uh, I have to be circumcised and I have to follow all of the rituals that the law says that I have to follow. If I want to be a proselyte, meaning a, a, a person who follows Judaism and I was not born Jewish, then that would be the road I would have to take. And this is who this man is. He's a proselyte. He, he's most likely done everything required of him to follow the God Yahweh. And he even made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem most likely to Passover, right? He knows Passover because he knows the law. And he most likely makes this pilgrimage and is on his way back from doing so. Look at 34. Uh, he, he's, he's, I'm sorry, he's reading about this man who the, the prophet Isaiah is talking about, but he doesn't know who it is. He doesn't understand. Verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this of himself or someone else? So here's this Jewish, or I'm sorry, here's this Ethiopian proselyte who is seeking something from God. He's studying and he's intrigued, but he doesn't quite understand what he's reading. He reads the prophet Isaiah saying this, and it's obvious he doesn't know. Is Isaiah saying this about himself, or is he saying it about someone else? So Philip preaches to him as they approach water, and he's baptized, and, uh, and it says that the man went away rejoicing. Now remember, this is a transitional text. That's because the first ones to be saved and receive the Holy Spirit were who? Were the Jewish people in Jerusalem. You remember that? All these people getting saved, the 3,000, the 5,000, they're all Jewish people, we can assume. And then, uh, and then Philip goes up to Samaria, and you know, he preaches Jesus there. Peter and John come, and they seal the deal. The Holy Spirit comes, and these Samaritans are half-Jewish, okay? So th that's why they were hated so much, because they were considered to be a half-breed. They went up, and they married people from the Samaritan region, and now like full-blooded Jewish people hated the Samaritans because of what they did hundreds of years before. That, that's why. And so, so as, as, as the gospel's going, it first goes to the Jewish people and then up to Samaria to the half-Jewish people. But then this Ethiopian man is all the way as much Gentile as you can get. He's from Africa. Like he's from far away. He's obviously a Gentile. And, and this is the next person who is reached with the gospel, right? You can't get any more Gentile than that. He has no lineage whatsoever uh, to, to the Jewish culture other than he's a proselyte. And just as Jesus commissioned, Philip does what he's supposed to do and obeys and witnesses and preaches to him, right? So there's some things in this passage that I want to point out that I don't think we, we, we get as American Christians. I don't think we quite uh, 
um, I don't think we quite, I, some things I think kind of pass over our head as we're reading. First off, it was not common for a Jewish man to interact or to be in the presence of a Gentile man. Okay, we'll see later in the book of Acts that Peter, as he's going to Cornelius's house, he tells Cornelius, you know, it's not lawful for me to pretty much be hanging around a Gentile. You know, it's not lawful for me to be in the presence uh, of of Gentiles. And second, this man was Ethiopian. He was from Africa. Now, back in those days, there wasn't the hatred that we would think that comes with uh, people from Africa. It wasn't racist uh, in that sense, right? That, that's not the way they saw each other. But a Jewish person would have seen this man as lower in his eyes, okay? The color of his skin. Uh, they, I mean, like I said, it, it wasn't as racist as we would think of it in early America, but they, they were way lower than a Jewish person because it was, you know, a Jewish person was the top of the crop and then maybe a half Jewish person and then everybody else was just dogs pretty much. And so here's Philip, okay? Here's Philip, and he sees this man, and first off, he's Ethiopian. Uh, Second off, uh, I'm sorry, first off, (laughs) he's Ethiopian, the color of his skin. And then he's a eunuch, right? He, he's deformed in some way, and, it, and we know that because of the title that it gives. He's, he's, he's kind of got this stigma because of this, and the Bible describes it that way. So what I really want us to notice, to take notice here, is even though he was very different from Philip, even though he was different ethnicity and had been looked differently because of physical defect, this had no bearing whatsoever on Philip's ability to share the gospel message with him. He was totally different from Philip. He was not Jewish, he was Ethiopian, he was a eunuch, and Philip didn't bat an eye when it came to sharing the gospel with him. There was no barriers for Philip as it was concerned to him. No barriers whatsoever. We can learn a thing or two about this encounter of Philip and the Ethiopian, can we not? I'd be the first one to admit to you this morning uh, and be totally transparent and say, I've had moments where I come encounter with, into encounter with a person who uh, is, is uh, different than me, and I feel above them. I'll, be, I'll admit it, right? When I see someone, you know, on the streets or whatever, asking me for money, whatever, what have you, I'll be the first one to admit that I have looked at people like that and thought less of them. And I think if we're all honest in here this morning, we can agree the same. Can we not? That there have been people that we've encountered that we think less of them because of their situation or whatever. We've separated ourselves into these classes that we don't like to admit that we've done. Okay? We've separated ourselves into these classes that we don't like to admit that we've done. What do we do as parents when we're house shopping and we're looking to move? What's the very first thing? If you are a parent, you're like, I want good schools for my kid, you know, unless you're homeschool. Uh, I want really good schools for my kid. I want to be in a great neighborhood where there's not a whole lot of violence or maybe there's not a whole lot of criminals going around. 
I'm not saying that's bad. Obviously, you know, you don't want to live where people are going to be breaking into your house. But we obviously draw these lines within ourselves to say, I'm going to separate myself from this class of people for whatever reason. And don't feel bad. I mean, it's what we do. It's what we do. We separate ourselves from people. And this is not the case with, with Philip and the Ethiopian. As we see Philip coming through to this Ethiopian, he looks at this guy with the eyes that Jesus would see him. He doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't care that he's got all these differences. He just sees someone who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spirit has led him there. He not only understands the importance of taking the gospel message out, but he's not blinded by the social differences that present themselves as he encounters these people. He's not. You ever seen those memes, Be Like Bob? I think that's what it's called. I did one. It's uh, Be Like Philip. You got that up there with the stick man? <laughs> Philip loves Jesus and takes his message to everyone. Philip does not see people as different just because of their physical differences or because of their economic status. Be like Philip. So that's what I titled my message this morning. Be like Philip. As you're going out, and we say it here, we're never going to stop saying here, if, as you're going out making disciples for the world, taking the gospel to the world, be like Philip. Do not separate yourself from these different type of class of people that we do not like. Don't do that. That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. And I have to tell myself that all the time because, like I said, if I'm being honest with you this morning, I've been in that boat before myself to where I do not see people the same way as I see myself, and that's wrong. All right. So you want to be like Philip? I do. Here, here's some ways we can do that. Number one, being like Philip, go wherever the Spirit leads you. You go wherever the Spirit leads you to go. Look at Acts 8, 26 and 27a in our text here. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. He got up and went. He didn't, he didn't argue, okay? Philip did not say, wow, angel, I'm, I'm way up north in Samaria and we're doing some good things. All these people just got saved and now we're taking off our blinders for the hatred of the Samaritans. I'm doing good work here. He doesn't say that. The angel comes and says, hey, I need you to go down this way. And he says, yes, sir. And he goes. It says, so he went up and went. And it's very important that we live a spirit-led life as we're in this world. No, you're most likely not going to hear from an angel. I agree with you on that one. There most likely will be no audible voice, okay? So don't wait for that. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are times when the Holy Spirit grabs your heart and impresses upon you to do something that you know you need to do. Amen? Is it just me? There are going to be times when the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to do this thing, now go do it. And sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't, right? I remember, like I was telling you uh, 
I've, I've been guilty of this where I used to view homeless people begging on the street as, as a bad thing. Like I was so rude to them. I, you know, I got married at 15 years old and, and I started working when I was 15 and I've never not had a job and I've always worked real hard just like my dad taught me to. And I would look at these people and I would think, golly, man, like get a job. Like you can get a job. Like there's, you know, the, the labor, uh, what is it? Like labor ready places where you know, I've been there. I've gone and done that. And, 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 you know, you can do whatever, go mow somebody's yard, blah, blah, blah. And I used to think this way. And I remember one time uh, I was headed to Walmart. I don't remember where I was coming from, but I was headed to Walmart. And I saw this guy with a sign by his car. And he says, I just need a tank of gas. And it's immediately, immediately I, I felt like, oh, yeah, right, dude. Like, you're going to go drink that up. You're going to go smoke it up, whatever. Like, I know. And then I, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of touching my heart. And the Holy Spirit was like, hey, he just needs a tank of gas. You can afford it. And so I, so I made a deal with God. I was like, all right, God, you got this. I'm going to go into Walmart. And I'm going to do what I'm gonna, I got to do. If he's still standing there with that sign when I get out, I'll fill his whole tank up. Yeah. And you know what happened? I came outside and I was looking for him and somebody else was already filling his tank. Oh, man, that stung hard. You, you know, there's these instances where you just know that God is real, that God exists. And when I felt that burning to put gas in that guy's car, and then I didn't do it. And then somebody else, he really did need gas. And God wanted me to bless that guy for whatever reason with a full tank of gas. And I didn't do it. How horrible is that? And let me tell you, I've not been perfect since that moment. But there have been times where I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to do something. And even when I don't want to, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is so embarrassing. All right, I'll do it. So one time we're at Texas Roadhouse, uh, not too long ago, maybe a couple years ago, right here in Port Arthur. And, uh, and I, I don't know, it was a Wednesday night and uh, I had taught here and you know, we get out pretty late because we like to stand around and talk. And so uh, after we got out of church, I told Melissa like, I'm really hungry, let's go to Texas Roadhouse. And so she said, okay. So we go, and I'm tired, right? Usually when I teach on Wednesday nights, it's a long day, man. Like I get here at 8.30, and I don't leave till church is over. I'm here all day, and uh, Adam sees me drinking a cup of coffee when, when he comes in to sign checks or whatever, and I'm like, I got to be up. And so I'm tired, and we're eating our dinner, and there's this couple sitting just across from us with two little kids, and they've got like these huge things of margaritas. <laughs> and they were almost empty, and they were being a little loud. And which I don't care. And, uh, and I was like, I felt like the Holy Spirit telling me like, hey, you should talk to those people. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> I literally in my heart said, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry, Holy Spirit. Like, they're drunk. Like, they're going to they're gonna think I'm an idiot. And I'm eating my food there, and it's just like a weight that will not come off of my chest. And I'm like, God, leave me alone. Like, I just want to eat, you know. I'm tired. I did what you wanted me to do. I preached today. Like, you know, I did the good Christian-y thing I'm supposed to do. And I'm, I'm, we're just sitting there quiet. I'm in my head, obviously. Uh, if it was out loud, that would have been weird. Uh, but, we, but I'm arguing with God inside of me. And I'm like, fine. My golly. Like a little kid, you know, like, ugh. 
So, you know, I, I strike up a conversation and, you know, it turns into like this 30-minute conversation with these people who just moved here and everything. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't lead to much, right? Like, I invite them to church. I invite them to church every once in a while. This thing is driving me nuts. I invite them to church every once in a while, and uh, they haven't come yet. But, um, but you know, we're hoping. And, uh, and we've planted that seed. But I get it. There have been times where I'm like arguing with the Holy Spirit, like, nah, I'm not going to do that. But if indeed the Spirit of God resides inside of you, you will feel his presence to be moved upon doing something at times. Without a shadow of a doubt, God will oppress upon you to do something for him if his spirit lives inside of you. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is today, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Look what he's saying. Just as you had in the beginning, when you surrendered your heart to Jesus, when you heard the message of the gospel and you knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was pulling on your heart and you needed to do something, just like that day when you hear the voice of God telling you to do something, you don't rebel against him. You get up and do it. And that's exactly what Philip did here. The voice of God came to him. And he said, go to this eunuch, this Ethiopian that's traveling, and he did it. And we also have the word of God to guide us, right? We have God's spirit, but we have the word of God. I'll say this a thousand times if I have to or until I die, that in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go, right? Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When you're wondering what should I do for God, just read that verse. When you're wondering, God, what's your will for my life? You go and read that verse. Because the word of God will tell you what it is you need to do. And if, and if you're not feeling the warm and fuzzies to go do it, go read the verse and then go do it. Because he's telling you to do something here. He's speaking to you through his word to move and to go. And I'll say it a hundred times if I have to. You want to be like Philip, go where the Spirit leads. Number two, if you want to be like Philip, know how to articulate the gospel. If you want to be like Philip, know how to articulate the gospel. It's very important that each and every Christian knows the gospel and how to, part and how to articulate it to those who need to hear it. Very important. Look at this, Acts, 38, uh, Acts 8, 35 in our text, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Notice how it says beginning from this scripture. This guy is an Isaiah, and he's reading about the Lamb of God. And Philip knows the Bible well enough and knows the gospel message well enough that he can take him from Isaiah to Jesus to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He knows how to articulate the gospel. We should know the gospel. Church, we should know the gospel. Just like we know other things, we should know the gospel. I need a volunteer this morning. Somebody want... Peggy, you can be my voluntold. 
Come on up here. I want to give you an analogy. Come on up here. It's all right. There you go. Yeah, give her a hand. Okay. It's not a magic show. Uh, Peggy, what is two plus two? Four. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is five plus five? Ten. Ten. All right. I want you to read this sentence for me. We should know the gospel. We should know it like we know other things. So you know two plus two. You know how to read. Where did you learn that? At school. Okay. You elementary. learned elementary school. All right. Good. Thank you, Peggy. All right. Ta-da! No. Listen to this. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts regard Christ as Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Ready at any time. That's what he says here. Ready at any time. Do you know the gospel and how to articulate it just as well as Peggy knew what 2 plus 2 was? She knows what two plus two is. She knows how to read because that's what she was taught to do. And it just comes to her head without her having to think about it. We should be ready, Peter says, to be able to give a defense for the gospel's sake at any moment's notice. Why? Not because at some point maybe you're going to encounter somebody. No, because you're continually going. Because you're Matthew 28, 19 in the world and you're going constantly. And as you're going, you're encountering people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should know how to articulate the gospel so well that it's like two plus two. Can we defend the gospel at a moment's notice is the question. We should be able to. It's just like we exercise and eat well and train for our bodies to be healthy. Yeah, I follow Facebook. I see a lot of you doing push-ups and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, not me. Uh, No, honestly, sometimes we train really hard to look good or to feel good. Amen? And when you take that new job, if you don't train to do what you're actually going to do, they fire you. And you work real hard at it to know what it is to do at your job. And just as we train through all these things, this is how it should be with the gospel. Because as we're continually going, we need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Not just come to church and hear about it on Sundays. That's not good enough. How can, how can we make disciples? We can't if we don't know the message. We can't be making disciples and evangelizing if we don't know God's message for them. We can't do it. Philip was successful with this man because he knew the word of God and he was able to explain it to him in a way that this man got saved. What if Philip would have went on that chariot and the guy's like, who is this talking about? And Philip's like, I have no clue, man. You know, the angel told me to come. There you were. He said, get on. Here I am. Like, let's do this. (laughs) No. It says Philip began to preach to him. He knew the gospel message. And don't get me wrong, just like Peggy knows what 2 plus 2 is and how to read because she went to school, we should be training disciples to be able to articulate the gospel message and equipping them for any moment that they come about. Any time. Now, listen, if you're a new Christian, I, pre, please, please 
understand that I don't expect you to go and know everything, okay? If you're a new Christian, it's our job to equip you with the gospel message. It's our job to equip you with what you need to know so you can eventually get there. And church, if you've been saved for a while and you don't know how to articulate the gospel message, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. It's kind of like a downward spiral. If you don't know the gospel, then how are you going to go and make disciples? Are you? Do you want to? Because that's not the question that Jesus has commanded you. It's not whether you feel like it or not. It's going to take a little bit. But Philip knew the gospel message. He knew the gospel message and how to articulate it. I'm going to change this mic, Chris, because this thing's driving me nuts. This man looked different than Philip. This man came from a different culture than Philip. This man was deformed in a sense and probably had the stigma about him and Philip didn't care. Philip saw this man the way Jesus sees him. Can we get deep for a second? Is that all right? Can you handle it? Buckle in. Let's get deep. This whole weekend has been littered with people who act different than us and do things that we despise. Looting stores, burning police buildings in cars, attacking and hurting innocent people. That's all that's been on the news. Everybody knows about it. Do we have the ability to see people who are different than us through the eyes of Jesus. I want you to think about it for a second. I want you to picture in your head whatever video you've seen this weekend, and I want you to ask yourself, can you look at these people through the eyes that Jesus looks at them, that they are people who are headed for hell and need a savior, and we have the message. Whether they're different from us or not, whether we agree with their actions or not, that Jesus has love enough for these people that he hung on a cross for them. I don't care if you've been raised in church all your life. I don't care if you were a murderer before you came to know Jesus Christ. You were on the road to hell. I was on the road to hell. Going to church all your life is not going to save you from hell. Surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ is, and he paid the price. Pre-conversion, these people are the same as we were, yet we look at them with different eyes because of the acts that they commit. We do. I have. And, and God is not wanting that. Jesus is not wanting that. As he gives the commission to go, he doesn't say go to people that look just like you. Go to people that dress just like you. Go to people that have the same moral values as like you. Because let me tell you something, lightness cannot shine in light, okay? But lightness 
a light shines really good in the dark. And we have to be the light unto dark areas. Meaning, he's not telling us, hey, go give the gospel at the other church across town. Go give the gospel to people who you know who might be good at it, right? That we're going to go to the better neighborhood and tell people about Jesus because that's the kind of people we want in this church. That's not the way it goes. And Philip didn't care. Here's this guy. He's from Africa and he's a eunuch. And, and Philip doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't ask a question. He does it because he's been called to do it by Jesus Christ himself. Because that's the message. Because that's the purpose. Because that's the reason that we do what we do. That's the point. It's going to be very sad one day to find out that we did it wrong if we don't correct it now. We can do it all day. We can go to people that look like us and are cleaned up like us and have good jobs and are good economic standing. And you know what, maybe we'll gain a few. And maybe we'll convince them enough that Jesus is good for them. But there's real darkness in the world that people who look and act way different than we do who need the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I come from a lineage of alcoholics and drug abusers, and almost all of my family has served time in prison. And when I was 19 years old and presented with the gospel, it changed the direction of my family forever. Forever. You want social change? Give the gospel. Because Jesus is the only one who can do that. He's the only, the government's not going to do it. Good morals is not going to do it. Throwing money at people is not going to do it. The message and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for sinners who do not deserve it is what's going to do it. And listen, if this is too hard to understand or too hard to to swallow because we don't want to associate with people like that, that you're in the wrong place. You're following the wrong God. If your God doesn't want you to interact with those kind of people. Listen to how horrible that sounds. We've got a lot of work to do, church. If we're going to be like Philip then we have to see people through the eyes that Jesus sees them with. Whether they're gay or straight or black or white. Whether they think like us or don't think like us. They need the gospel message. Because where they're going, we don't want them to go. Look at Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. What did he tell those people? Healthy people don't need a physician. Hear me now. If you're healthy and you're in good standing with God, I'm sorry. But how can I spend the majority of my time with you and not with those that are lost? And I'm not saying I don't spend my time with people who are saved. Don't get me wrong. We do life together. And, we're gonna, and I'm going to disciple. And that's going to take a process of years. right? And, 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 that, and that takes its time. But our focus should be on those who are lost because that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. 
God is not concerned with why we have differences with the lost because that should never, ever keep us from sharing the gospel with them. Our differences with the lost should never, ever keep us from sharing the gospel message with them. When we look at other people who disagree with us, we should be looking at them through the eyes of Jesus as people who are destined for hell in need of a savior. Look at John 15, 12 through 13. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Church, love is an action. Love is not intent. We cannot say that we love people with our mouths and then not show that we love people with our actions. I'm sorry, that makes us liars. It doesn't work that way. We're fixing to sing a song, and we're fixing to open this altar just like we do every single Sunday. We do this every Sunday. And what I want you to think about right now as your eyes are closed, I want you to think about that person that person that you know needs the gospel. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your relative. And I want you to think of the words out of that atheist guy's mouth. How much do you have to hate that person to not give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Church, God has commissioned us and commanded us to do this, not so that we'll have something to do while we're here on earth, but because it has an eternal impact on where people's lives are headed. An eternal impact of separation from God and hell and torment. And just like Philip, he didn't ask questions. He did as the Spirit led. He knew how to articulate the gospel. And he saw this man in the eyes of which Jesus would see him. And my challenge would be for you this morning to go out into the world today, tomorrow, the next day, and see people through the eyes of Jesus and love them enough to give them the gospel message and love them enough to get through our insecurities and love them enough to get through our awkwardnesses that hopefully I pray they do not perish for us not doing our job. This altar is open, and if you need to come and say, God, forgive me for not giving the gospel message, if you need to come and say, God, please give me the strength and the courage to speak to my neighbor about you, if you need to come and say, God, I need more faith, he'll give it to you. You may stand, and this altar is open this morning. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.